Hey, this morning, uh, I'm going to share with you uh, out of the book of uh, Matthew, which is uh, the first book in the New Testament, the first of the four Gospels. Matthew, a former tax collector who gets radically transformed and changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he becomes an eyewitness to the things that he records that have been now forever memorialized by the Spirit of God through the written text that we call the Holy Bible. The book of Matthew unpacks the genealogy of Christ, the birth of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and the great commissioning of Christ. And in doing so helps us have this view that Jesus in fact is the promised Messiah. He is in fact the fulfillment of that which the Old Testament prophets look forward to. And this Jesus now reigns on high, exalted in glory, seated at the right hand of the Father. Matthew is but one of many who are transformed by the witness and influence of Christ Jesus. His life is completely flipped upside down. He goes from being seen as a traitor to his own people, working as a tax collector for the Roman government, those who are occupying Jewish land. And in doing so, his life is fundamentally transformed transformed and he becomes an author that helps us understand the brilliance and the beauty of God's master plan from the very beginning being fulfilled now in the incarnation of Christ Jesus. One of the reasons why I love the book of Matthew is because Matthew in painstaking detail covers the narratives, the stories, the parables of Jesus as Christ helps unpack the mysteries of the kingdom using analogies in contemporary culture. And Jesus will talk about things like the man who builds his house on the rock versus the one who builds his house on the sand. Jesus will talk about farming and trees and crops and seasons and seeds and wine and wineskins and you name it. Jesus is an expert at utilizing uh, uh, contextual items in and around his circle of influence and then helping draw analogies to the principles of the kingdom of God. And we're going to look at one of those stories today because I believe within this text are really some rich insights and revelation about how we ought to live in light of the price that Christ has paid, not just for us, but for us to inherit a kingdom that is incorruptible and unshakable. In Matthew 13, Jesus shares one of these stories and I wanna share it with you today. Starting in verse one of chapter 13, the Bible says this. Now on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the sea. This would have been the Sea of Galilee. And great multitudes, they gathered together towards him, so much so that he got into a boat and he sat down and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now, oftentimes Jesus would sit in a borrowed boat. He would push out 10 to 15 feet out onto the lake. And then in doing so, the water would create natural amplification for his voice as he would share about the principles of the kingdom of God. So that's what's happening in this context. There are so many people who have gathered to hear his teaching. He's gonna push out in a boat a little ways from the shore and then allow the waters to carry his voice to the crowds who have gathered. The Bible says this, then Jesus spoke many things to them in parables. Now, there is a reason why Jesus would use parables, stories, 
to help illustrate the nature of the kingdom of God. And in fact, when the disciples ask him, why don't you just tell us plainly the truth? Why is it always packaged in some sort of narrative that we have to unpack and unfold to really uncover the things that you are communicating? Jesus actually answers that question when his disciples ask it in this same chapter. His disciples come to him, why do you speak in parables? And he answers and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears, they are hard of hearing. Their eyes, they have closed. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. In fact, this is the central message of Christ Jesus to the apostle John while he is on the island of Patmos having an open vision in regards to heaven. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. He who has eyes, let him see what the Spirit is doing in the church. It presupposes that just because you have natural eyes, it does not mean you have spiritual eyes. Just because you have natural ears does not necessarily mean you have spiritual ears, for only the spiritual minded can understand spiritual things. The carnal mind cannot entertain the kingdom of heaven. The secular or natural mind cannot entertain the kingdom of heaven, but when the eyes of your understanding have been opened to the beauty and the brilliance of the gospel, when he speaks, all of a sudden your heart comes alive. Now, Dr. Barclay, the famous Scottish theologian, he said this, the parables conceal truth from those who are either too lazy to think or too blinded by prejudice to see. It puts the responsibility squarely on the individual. It reveals truth to him who desires truth, but it conceals truth from him who does not wish to see truth. Spurgeon said this, the same sun which melts wax hardens clay and the same gospel which melts some people under repentance hardens others in their sins. Why can a child understand the kingdom of heaven, but the religious can't? Why do the poor inherit the kingdom of heaven, but the rich can't? Why does the tax collector get to be a disciple, but the rich young ruler can't? Why is the cross foolishness to the world, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God? Because the kingdom of God is most available to those who are least resistant. Because God exalts the lowly and brings down the proud. Because he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him because without faith it is impossible to please God and because when your heart is inclined towards the followership of Jesus you can receive things in the spirit they are given see woundedness pride arrogance hurt prejudice disappointment pain rejection all of these things impact the way that we receive let me give you an example for years I was very insecure about the way that I preached. I could never listen back to my own sermons. I could never receive a complaint or a compliment. I would interpret any type of commentary through the lens of my insecurity. I had basically lost the ability to receive feedback. In the spirit, it was given. 
But when God began to heal my heart, all of a sudden, I could operate in a way that lowered my defenses so I could hear the truth of what was being said. So today I fly around the world and I preach and I find myself constantly learning from the feedback of others. Why? Because now my eyes can see and my ears can hear. And here's the danger. When you can't receive things in the spirit they are given, you'll read the Bible and reach all the wrong conclusions. See, the Bible isn't a book of rules from a judge. It's a love letter from a father. Attending church isn't an activity to mark off my list. It's a community to invest my life. Tithing isn't an obligation of my religion. It's the overflow of my obedience. Why? Because my heart is now inclined towards the followership of Christ Jesus. Now watch. God isn't hiding things from me. He is hiding things for me because it's the process of discovery that leads to the development of my spirit. Hear me, growth isn't a gift imparted at the altar. Growth is an invitation into a process of becoming more like God and in doing so, having the deep things of your heart, your mind, and your soul developed along the way. See, for those of you who have ever had the privilege of meeting with a really good counselor, you know what I'm talking about. They don't give you all the answers in the first five minutes. They help you unpack the truth until you can verbalize what they have known all along about the circumstance you are struggling with. See, this is the purpose of parables. It is helping us unpack the truth that God has known there to be all along. And now just watch the story that Jesus tells. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Now some fell into stony places where they did not have much earth. They immediately sprang up because they had no depth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. Because they had no root, they withered away. See, some fell amongst the thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and it yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In these six verses, Jesus unpacks one of the most important spiritual principles for believers today. And in doing so, helps expose the complexities of the human condition. First and foremost, watch what Jesus says. A sower went out to sow. Not a sinner, not a cynic, not an observer, not a critic, but instead, a sower. Watch what the Bible says about sowing. Galatians 6 and 7. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also 
reap. Galatians 6 and 8, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. 2 Corinthians 9 and 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now I want you to see this today, friend. The first law in all of scripture, the first law in all of scripture is found in Genesis 1 and 11, where God says this in creation. Everything reproduces after its own kind. Everything reproduces after its own kind. Remember, you can teach what you know, but you will only reproduce what you are. Which means this, I can't plant an acorn and not expect an oak tree. I can't plant an apple seed and not expect an apple tree. I can't plant a bulb and not expect a tulip. If I sow sparingly, I will reap poverty. If I sow division, I will reap disunity. If I sow gossip, I will reap division. If I sow carnality, I will reap destruction. Oh, I ought to stop expecting my harvest to produce something that my seed does not already carry. See, in marriage, if I sow forgiveness, I can reap unity. In church, if I sow friendship, I can reap community. At my job, if I sow diligence, I can reap promotion. Maybe my greatest concern for this up and coming generation is the expectation that we can sow the wrong thing and reap the right thing, or we can sow nothing and reap everything. In 2 Samuel 24, King David is looking for a piece of land on Mount Moriah so he can build an altar to God. A farmer has a threshing floor and offers to give it to the king for free. And David responds, I refuse to give God something that cost me nothing. Because David understood if I will sow in sacrifice, I will reap in blessing. Nine years ago this month, nine years ago this month, we planted pursuit. We were broke. We didn't need no accounting software to process our offering. We could count the dollars on one hand. I'll never forget the day when another local pastor showed up to our little church meeting in that little barn. I found out that he had recently had to close down his church. They were behind on their rent. They was going to collections and they needed $4,500 to avoid default. Now you might be here today and you're blessed and highly favored and 4,500 ain't nothing to you. But when you don't have $45, it could have been 45 million. When you don't have it, you don't have it. And you know how it is when you're trying to avoid hearing the voice of God, because you know, he's going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. And right during worship, God tapped on my shoulder. He said, Russ, you're going to pay that bill. So I started to argue with God. I say, God, but you know my great need. I would not be a good steward to pay this man's bill. No, you don't understand all the obligations that I got coming up. See, what I needed was a building because we was meeting in a barn. 
What I needed was a house because we was living with my in-laws. What I needed was a car because I was driving a 1996 Buick LeSabre and it never worked. Now you might be saying, why you got one of them car clubs on your steering wheel? Because when a Buick LeSabre is all you got, a Buick LeSabre is all you need. Ain't nobody gonna steal my LeSabre from me. They don't make it in that color anymore. I thought with $4,500, I can upgrade from a 96 to a 98. But hear me, friend, I knew that that 4,500 that we were gonna sow to pay off this debt wasn't enough to cover any of the needs or expenses that I had. So I had a choice to make. I could hoard my five loaves and two fishes because it was all I had, or I could trust that if I gave it to God, he would multiply it to feed the masses. You can eat your seed or you can plant your seed, but you can't do both. The decision to eat your seed may feed you for a day, but the decision to plant your seed may feed your family for a lifetime. And I'm here to tell you, nine years later, we are still reaping a harvest from sowing seeds of faith that looks ridiculous in the moment. Now, let me help correct something this morning. In the church of God, it's not just the pastor who got seed to sow. It ain't just the worship leader who got seed to sow. God gives seed to the sower, which means if you will respond to the invitation for the harvest, God will equip you with something to give. All of us have seed. All of us have something to contribute. All of us have a part to play. The kingdom of God is not a sporting event where the crowds gather to watch the select few play the game in front of them. The kingdom of God is an open door invitation that invites all who call upon the name of the Lord to contribute to the harvest that God is desiring to release. And this is why the prayer of Jesus is the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. So therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to thrust out labor into his harvest field. When you volunteer on this serve team, you're sowing seed. When you direct traffic in this parking lot, you are sowing seed. When you hold babies in that nursery, you are sowing seed. When you give it this offering, you are sowing seed. When you pray for someone at this altar, you are sowing seed in the harvest field of the Pacific Northwest. I'll never forget going to church conference as a young person before I had a job. I had to be 14 or 15 years old. And during conference on one of the nights, the pastor was on stage to receive the offering. Offering time came up. The pastor was just about to invite people forward to give, but I had nothing to sow. My youth pastor was sitting next to me. He turned to me and asked me the question, are you gonna give in the offering? I said, give what? I got pocket lint, but other than that, I don't got much. So he opened up his wallet and he gave me $5. He said, now you have something to give. I said, why are you doing this for me? He said, I don't want you to miss out on your opportunity to receive for when you sow, God ensures that you will reap. I think the problem is people are asking for more of God, but they haven't done anything with the more that he gave them last week. They become a dead sea. Everything flows in, but ain't nothing flow out. Gotta give them seed, but they don't never have the faith to plant it. Gotta give them revelation, but they never 
have the courage to share it. Got to fill them up with hope, but it never overflows into the life of somebody in their sphere of influence. And yet they come back Sunday after Sunday asking God to receive and in doing so have become spiritually obese. And I'm here to tell you, it is when you give that it makes room in your heart to receive. So if you want more of God, why don't you go ahead and give God more of you and say, God, I'm going to pour out what you've poured in. Now watch what Jesus says. He says, it's not just the fact that there is seed to sow. It's the reality that there are four different types of ground. Number one is the road or the wayside. Number two is the stones. Number three is the thorns. And number four is the soil. And yet only one type of ground will result in a harvest. Hear me, friend. Hear me. If your expectation is that every seed you plant has a 100% success rate, then you have somehow convinced yourself that you are a better farmer than Christ. See, the farmer in this story plants seed three places before the fourth one yields a crop. And if the farmer would have given up when the ground was tough, he would have never seen the reward that was just around the corner. And maybe you're here today and you've tried church. You've tried serving. You've tried making a friend. You've tried getting involved. You've tried tithing. And it just don't ever feel like it's ever going to work out in your favor. I can't promise you a harvest tomorrow, but I can promise you this. If you will marry your tenacity to your diligence, it'll birth something far greater than you have ever asked, thought, or imagined. Oh, I don't know what the next soil will look like. I don't know what the next season will hold, but my job is not an inspector of the landscape, but instead a sower of the seed, for my job is obedience and his job is the results. Now watch what the scriptures say, Galatians 6 and 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season, we shall reap a harvest. Watch, if we do not lose heart. If we do not lose heart. How many times do we quote promises from God without the conditions of God? You will reap a harvest if you do not lose heart. See that phrase grow weary in the Greek means this to be negatively influenced with the outcome of experiencing inner weariness. Hear me, friend, you will experience inner weariness, but it is your decision how much that gets to influence the outcomes of your life. See, your ability to receive speaks to the health of your heart, but your ability to give speaks to the health of your hand. If my heart is not healthy, I am the wayside road that the seed of the gospel cannot penetrate. But if my hand is not healthy, I am the thorny bush that cannot trust God with my seed. But when my heart is healthy and my hand is healthy, I am blessed in my giving and I am even more blessed in my receiving. Now watch, the wayward road is tough because the seed cannot penetrate the ground but the stony places are tough for a different reason. The stony places have gaps for the seed to make it to the soil, but long-term it's impossible for the crop to grow deep roots. 
Jesus warns, without deep roots, it may look like you're growing. It may look like you're flourishing. It might look like you're developing, but the reality is you are only one storm away from losing your crop. Now hear me, I'm not a landscaper, but I do have a lawn and it is turning brown. And I wish I had the capacity to care, but I do not. <laughs> but I found out something very important just the other day. My lawn has a sprinkler system that I knew not about. So I called a pro and I had him come over and I said, explain to me how this grass is gonna stay green without me being out here working on this lawn four times a week. And he told me, sir, the secret is found in growing deep roots. If the grass is deeply rooted, it'll stay green longer. It'll survive winter better. It'll resist weeds stronger, but the roots must go deep. So I said, sir, what is the secret to growing these deep roots? And he said this, number one, frequent watering. Number two, frequent mowing. And number three, frequent fertilizer. And I thought to myself, oh, I think there's some applications for the life of a believer. Hear me, friend, you can't afford to be a casual Christian in this hour. You can't afford to be a cultural Christian in this hour. You can't afford to be a, let me make sure and check that there ain't nothing interesting on TV before I attend church Christian in this hour. The only way we're gonna endure is by being spirit-filled Christians in this hour. Now watch. You might be able to afford to hire someone to take care of your lawn, but you can't hire out the work that must be done in your soul. For the only way that we're gonna endure is by the frequent watering of his spirit, the frequent pruning of the vine dresser, and the frequent fertilizing until the changing seasons are no match for our stable roots. The third soil is unique yet dysfunctional all at the same time. The third soil's got thorns. The soil is fine, but the surroundings are toxic. The crop comes up quickly, but the weeds choke it out before it has time to reach its full potential. But I wanna end here today not with the negativity of the first three landscapes, but the potential of the fourth. For the fourth landing spot for the seed is different. This landing spot is what the Bible calls good soil. And it yields a crop 30, 60, even a hundredfold. It's good because it's rich. It's good because it's deep. It's good because the weeds are minimized and the rocks have been reduced. And this soil, when the seed hits it and it's watered in faith and rooted in consistency, it produces something far greater than you ever imagined. And in fact, it produces a harvest that more than makes up for the failure of the last three. See, could it be that what awaits you on the other side of your persistence 
is a harvest so great that it will more than compensate for what the devil cost you in the last three seasons of your life. See, I'm not responsible for the soil, but I am responsible to keep sowing the seed. Here's what so many of us do in our Christian faith. God gives us seed, time, talent, treasure, unique capacities, abilities, graces. And we take our seed out to the landscape of our life and we throw a little here. And then all of a sudden we go back to the prayer closet and expect that first planting to produce all of our wildest dreams, pressed down, shaken together and overflowing. But the problem is that soil was the wayside road. It does not produce what we thought it would produce. And so instead of having the tenacity to come back and sow more seed and sow more seed, we take our resource and we bury it in a basket never to shine again. And I'm here to tell you there is one man who plants, there is another man who waters, but it is God alone who brings the increase. And you might be here today with an abundance of seed in your hands, but you got despair in your heart because the last three seasons, the canker worm destroyed what God intended to produce life. And you've allowed the wayside and you've allowed the rocky places and you've allowed the thorny bushes to steal the joy of your salvation, to steal the hope of your conviction. You knocked on that door and it didn't open. You asked in prayer, but you didn't receive. You sought, but you didn't find. And I'm here to tell you by the Spirit of God, it's time to sow again. Cause there is good soil in the Northwest. There is good soil underneath your feet. There is good soil just waiting for your seed. And you haven't seen God do nothing yet. Get ready, your harvest is coming. Come on, stay standing, let me in here. Let me give you the key. Let me give you the key. Here's the key. You can't lose your joy along the journey because God won't reward seed sown in anger or animosity. For instead, he rewards seed sown in gladness and joy. Now watch, 2 Corinthians 9. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful in the Greek is the word hilarion. It's where we get the English word hilarious. It means a prompt in your spirit that inclines you to a joyful yes. We sang it this morning. It is yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. It's yes, Lord, when the wayside seed don't produce my harvest. It is yes, Lord, when the seed amongst the stones don't produce my harvest. It is yes, Lord, when the seed amongst the thorns don't produce my harvest. And it is yes and amen when the faithful planting produces a harvest 30, 60, and a hundredfold. 
Lighty, me and you, we was in Tampa, Florida a few months ago. And we was down there for a conference with Pastor Rodney Howard Brown. And he had called me on the phone and he said, I saw one of your preaching moments, come down and spend time with me. And I said, okay, <laughs> he an interesting guy, but there's an anointing on his life. I thought, just lay hands on me. I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> and one of the nights after conference light, you remember this? Church went late. I ain't talking no 60 minute service. 60 minutes, just the offering. 60 minutes, the warm up song. I'm telling you, Lighty, we got out of there 11.45 p.m. Afterwards, I thought Dr. Rodney was gonna go back to his trailer and sleep and we was gonna go back to the hotel. Nope. After he got done, he said, hop in my golf cart. I wanna take you on a tour of my 100-acre church property. I said, okay. We was driving. All of a sudden, Lighty, you remember this? We got to the back of the property and he had these greenhouses. I'm not talking like a greenhouse like you have in your backyard because you pretend to care about plants. I'm talking about a greenhouse bigger than this building. And on the front of it, it said SpaceX. I said, Dr. Rodney, why does your greenhouse say SpaceX? He goes, because I bought these greenhouses from Elon Musk. He was using them to do experiments. I bought them to grow crops. I said, uh, okay, it's a true story. So he took us on a tour to greenhouses and they had all the soil beds and all sorts of different seeds and plants and fruits and vegetables that was growing. He started picking off fruit and vegetables. We was tasting it. It was the most brilliant tasting, beautiful, organic, all these types of things. But we noticed something. We noticed connected to the seed beds, there was a metal pole from the soil all the way to the roof of the greenhouse. And I was like, Rodney, help me understand why each of these seed beds have a metal pole from the soil all the way to the top of the greenhouse. He said, it's easy. Tampa has a ton of thunderstorms. He goes, Russ, these are lightning rods. He goes, when the lightning strikes the metal poles, it sends such a burst of energy into the soil that it causes supernatural acceleration to the seed. I thought I was in another world. I thought I was on another planet. I said, hold up. You intentionally are attracting the lightning because it helps the seeds supernaturally grow. He said, oh yeah, this will grow in half the time. It'll be double the crop. It'll be tastier than anything that you've ever tasted. Cause when the lightning hits the soil, it releases an energy that the dirt cannot contain. And I thought about that in the context of second Corinthians nine, the Lord loves not a giver, but a cheerful giver. I think cheerfulness is the lightning rod that connects the power of God to the soil in which your seed is planted and when you operate in joy it supernaturally causes good seed to germinate into good soil and divine acceleration comes on the crop of your life it's time to shake off despair it's time to get rid of that cloak of heaviness
It's time to anoint yourself with the oil of gladness and joy. I know the last three seasons, the last three churches, the last three relationships, the last three jobs, the last three circumstances didn't turn out the way that you wanted. But there's a fourth soil yet untapped. And if you will be faithful to sow, my God will be faithful to cause it grow. Come on, let's pray.